Hi, this is Andrew Torres of Opening Arguments, and I took a left at the valley. Perfect. Fantastic. Awesome. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. You just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Coming at you from Outrageous BC This is Left of the Valley My name is Kevin And I've come to the profound realization That if you boil a funny bone It becomes a laughing stock I like that one You know what? I, I like that That's one. humorous That is That's <laughs> Joining me as usual. Joining me as usual is a team that wonders if someone from Holland marries a Filipino. Is it a jalapeno? Oh. <laughs> she thought Jesus rose because of the yeast in the bread at communion. Nancy. Okay. <laughs> she dusted once. It came back. Not gonna fall for that again. Christina. Yep. <laughs> and she told a joke about. Oedipus and Midas, it was motherfucking gold. Oh my god. <laughs> that Ladies. is the kind of sass I would do. Ladies, welcome back. <laughs> Hope you had a great week. It was an interesting week. I learned a few things about some coworkers. It was a very political week, too. It was. Oh, it was just one of those. It was weird. Like, is there a full moon or something? Oh, like, I don't know. It's been a weird, weird week all around, all together. Well, I'm glad and that it's we, just starting. I'm glad we got a full team back together now. Was, was kind of looking thin a bit there last week. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking to the sultry, sexy boys of Seth Andrews. It's been a while, and we're going to be talking about free speech. That's going to be in the second half of the show. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Did you guys hear that Alan Turing, remember Alan Turing? Mm-hmm. The World War II hero who was uh, persecuted for being gay? Yeah. He will be the new face of the 50-pound note. Yeah! That's, oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. He's well known as the father of computer science. He saved millions by beating the Nazi Enigma machine. And um, apparently there was over a thousand nominations for the note, including Stephen Hawking. Wow. And well, Alan, that would have been interesting. Yeah, but they, they do, if you recall, we talked about a while back, they didn't, they didn't make a coin with the image of Hawking uh, uh, not too long after his death. But now Alan Turing is going to be on the 50-pound note, so... That's great. You know, yeah, good for him. You know, <laughs> it feels like this poor man, if you ever watch uh, um, any movie that depicts his life or read anything about his biography, you know. It was rough. We owe this man a yeah. lot. We yeah. really, really, really do. Yeah. And, you know, to, to, to be such a war hero and save so many, so many lives, because it was really looking bad there in World War II without us being able to break uh, the Enigma machine until he came along and did that. And if it wasn't for that, the... Technically, the war could have absolutely been won by the Germans back then, by the mm-hmm. Nazis. Um, so he saved our, the way of our way of life, only to be uh, outed as gay and being then after that uh, court ordered to be uh, chemist, uh, chemically castrated, I believe. And you know, and poor man eventually took his own life. Uh, it's like wow, it's not a, it's not the way to treat a hero. No, a, a very very profound injustice. <laughs> It was, and it's a way of acknowledging that and giving support to people today, yeah, you know, yeah. who are, you know, ho- hopefully never find themselves in that kind of uh, situation ever again. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, moving on. Um, 
on uh, less good news, um, you know, when I think of pollution and you think biggest producer of waste, who do you guys, what country comes to mind? Oh. You think of the U.S.? Oh, China? Canada. Yeah. Yeah, Canada. that's Canada. exactly it. We actually got the number one spot. Because of our uh, oil fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is according to the World Bank. Um, if you, if you, there's lots of different types of garbage, obviously. If you think of municipal waste, the kind of garbage you don't know, take to the corner and the truck picks up during the week, that's only 5% of the waste <laughs> that a country produces. Um a lot of it is uh, 30 to 35% is in building uh, the building sector, construction, demolition, and that's also one of our big flaws. Not just industrial, yeah. like you said, the, the tar sands and stuff like that. Uh, so if you're interested in the top 10, I <laughs> should have done a top 10 for yeah, Nancy. No, yeah, I thought of that. But uh, Number 10 uh, was actually Serbia. And they produce, and this is, of course, annual waste uh, per capita, right? And they produce 8.9 tons per capita, and their, their, their recycling is only at 0.8%. Huh. Of Ooh. waste, uh, then number nine is Ukraine with put ten point six tons annually per capita and three point two percent of the rate of recycling, and then number eight Luxembourg at eleven point eight tons and their recycling is much higher though as a twenty eight point four percent. So that's nice. better. That's kind of nice. And uh, then Sweden comes in. I was surprised to see Sweden in there too. Wow. Yeah. Sixteen point two tons per. Uh, uh, annually per capita you, and their recycling perfect. their recycling goes a bit through the roof at 32.4% damn and then number 6 comes Armenia at 16.3 tons uh, there was no figure for the recycling for some reason uh, and then Finland you know all these countries that we really love seems uh-huh. to be a bit big polluters unfortunately uh, 16.6 tons it would be interesting to see what um, industries are polluting mm-hmm. yeah of course there's a lot of it um I'll get to that just a bit here for us. Uh, 28.1% of recycling. Estonia, number four, at 23.5 tons, at 24.7% of recycling rate. The U.S. comes at number three. Our Not American fr- cousin at 25.9 tons, uh, 34.6% recycling, which is actually a surprising number. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by that. Yeah. That's good for them. That's great. Number two, Bulgaria, at 26.7 tons, uh, at 19% of recycling. And then there's a huge jump Canada oh. comes in yep. at number one at 36.1 tons. Yikes. That was from 26 to 30, an extra 10 tons per capita annually. And the recycling rate is at 20.6%, less than the Americans. Yep. I was surprised by that too. That makes um, me feel bad. In Canada, uh, a, lot of our, a lot of our waste is construction materials. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, is like that. It's actually uh, um, 1.12 billion tons and if you work in the construction sector you, you, and you start thinking about it, it, it makes total sense. There's a lot of, you know, framing with wood and that's all chopped up and tossed away. Well, I do know that because I do work in that. Exactly. But, but you'd think, of course, what you think and what's realistic doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always the same thing. But you'd think that after all of these centuries of construction that there would be more efficient ways mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. saving materials yeah. or recycling I, I, think, I think there materials. are more efficient it just costs more money yeah yeah exactly and i think there's a lot of people that like the old-fashioned way of building things because you know they, they see it as an endless resource but, so then, but then there ought to be a way and and i realize the mis, mis- idealism here is speaking there ought to be a way to recycle or to use mm-hmm. the um not 
and not having it waste, but being able to use it in, in another project or something nice. else other than just disposing it. This, yeah. th- this needs to become a show, actually. We need to do a show on that. Yes, also, another big thing for Canada, uh, agricultural waste. Yep. Actually, one, yeah. 181 million tons of agricultural waste. And of course, like uh, Christina said, uh, you can't go uh, talk about this without talking about the oil sector. Obviously, yeah, it does it create so a bad. lot of waste it is as well. So a bad lot of in waste. Canada. So, um, so we need to do something about this. And uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of people say you need to talk about climate change. They talk about carbon, and uh, it's not just carbon. You know, mm-hmm. pollution is a factor as well. And I know a lot of people have a tendency to say, "Well, you know, we're so small a country as what we're producing." Well, not that much. Apparently, we have a bit of an impact, yep. especially in our waste. So think about it this way: if you start saying, "Oh, well, it's pointless for us to do something; we're not going to affect the end," that's like akin to a kid saying, "I'm not going to clean my room till Big Brother cleans his." Right? We need to be more responsible than that. And if we're not going to be responsible towards the carbon side of things, we can at least clean up our our mess. Yeah. With the all the waste that we're. Well, I was surprised to learn that Canada shipped its that um, what was it five six years ago? Canada Mm -hmm. shipped waste to the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And said no, it's not waste; it's recycle. Recycle, yeah. And then the the Philippines. Yeah, and the and the Philippines kept saying, uh, you know, what do you want us to do with it? And then they looked, and it wasn't; it had been mislabeled. It was actually garbage. Yeah. And so now we're getting it back. It's been garbage. It's been rotten there in the Philippines for six years. I just imagine the smell. Yeah, that was that was difficult for me to to understand yeah. how yeah. in the world that happened. We, we like to think of our country as a nice squeaky clean image. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're not necessarily always the good player here. No. And, and this, is, this is one of the things that, you know, we need to work on for sure. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, if Canada was able to make great strides in finding ways to solve these problems? Mm-hmm. And bec- you, mm-hmm. we could become a huge leader oh, absolutely. in, like, yeah. towards producing less pollution. Sure. My, my grandfather, in his wisdom, years ago, when I was a, just a, a boy, said to me, he says, you know, there is great money in garbage. And I thought he was crazy. And I, and I laughed at him. And, you know, he was certainly right. You know, mm-hmm. He was absolutely right. There is great, a lot of money to, and a lot of opportunity in there. Whether or not we decide to go there as a country, we seem to be more focused on energy sector right now and producing raw materials for other countries than anything else. Anyway, moving on. Last but certainly not least, uh, did you guys hear there are three water parks in Ontario and Quebec that are allowing women to go topless? Yes, uh-huh. that is awesome. Finally, uh, this is Calypso Parks and Village Val- Village Vacances Val Cartier, um, which actually I've been to that. Uh, visitors are also uh, they're asked to wear appropriate summer wear only, no thongs or transparent bottoms. Okay, that no, is totally fair. But there's no mentions of anything on on no top. There's no mention of top. That's and fair. And by law, uh, by law, you're allowed. Women are allowed to go topless here in Canada, which is great. Which is another reason why you Americans should move up here to Canada. <laughs> Free the tatas. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, as as liberal and as open minded as I am about most everything, really. Hey, you're topless I, right now. It would be. You know, I I'm just wondering whether or not I would go to the to the, a. a um, water park or theme park and just bear, bear it you know to the world just well, that's it 
You do it here on the show. I don't see why not. Well, I know. Well, that's that's just because it's just us. It's it's we're just in good company. Yeah, yeah, because we're all sitting here naked. But you know, it's just. Oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that. But but I mean, to do it, you know, out in public, I don't know. I mean, would you, would would I do it hands down? Oh yeah, really? Oh, I hate yeah. wearing bras. Sometimes they Ooh. are so. Annoying. I, I know. I, I, I mean, I, so, but in public, I mean, you're, yeah. you're okay. Why not, Kirsten? I don't care. I mean, if I was more confident in like my me, in it. my body figure, I probably would. But for like your body's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> well um, said. But in the world, in like the world, and how mean people can be. Yeah, I understand um, that. I understand that. I'd probably hold back a little bit there. But aside from that, I mean, mm-hmm. probably well, if I decided, yeah, I wanted yeah, yeah, to. And and these are water slides. Do yeah. you know how annoying it is going down a water slide and having a little ball in the shoving into the back of your spine Whoa. from where your bra, your bathing suit's tied? Oh, okay, okay. I it, it is so annoying. Yeah, okay, well, that's only if you have one that ties in the back. Well, yeah, if you're wearing like a full one piece, one piece suit, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I've got that suit. Yeah, piece. so I've like, if you could just wear no top, oh, it'd be so, and your tan lines would be so much better. Yeah. Yes. Plus, yeah. you're not gonna lose your top. Exactly. Yeah, that's Because it's not there. There is a there is yeah. a uh, no, I'd do it. there is an older woman in Maple Ridge. She's become a bit of a local celebrity because she does that. She takes she takes walks and she she goes in the sun and she usually has a walking stick and she's topless. And you know, it has created some controversy, you yeah. know, especially with the older generation, I guess. Yeah. Well, they're just. Uh, but, you know, I, I totally understand. I mean, if I can bear it all, be completely, you know, topless yeah. and bell my yeah. chest hairs well, and stuff like that, why wouldn't women Especially when you realize that some men legitimately have bigger breasts than, <laughs> other, than some women. Why are you looking at me when you say that? Because you have large pectorals. Well, yeah, but I'm... Okay, well. <laughs> Are you, are you saying I should wear a bro? Yes. For, um, for a minute, it's called a bro. A man, a yeah. man. <laughs> so, what, so, what was that on Seinfeld? Um, Seinfeld, a man bro? What's that? I, I don't know. I haven't watched Seinfeld, so I'll have to take yeah, a word for it. I've never seen Seinfeld either. Oh, okay. But I think also on this note, going back to when you were asking me if I would do it, I think when it becomes a little bit more normalized, like yeah. when it becomes more common you, in you, that, it's you, not as much of not, a like... <gasps> Yeah, Factor? it's it's not it's not the body yeah, image I, at this point that scares you. It's more the reaction of people yes. jeering at you, essentially. Exactly, yeah, yeah, which is that. funny because I've never actually had to go through that. But you see, it and you're just like, it's more of a preventative. Like I don't want to have to experience mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And it's interesting because for me, thinking of doing it, the thing that I, as a woman, would be most worried about is actually being attacked by a man. See, I just kicked her fucking ass. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's really sad well, that it's like with Christina, it's, just it's, to, it's really just, sad that just in case that the fact of having no shirt on for some men is an invitation yeah, to no. assault you. It's we're like, not yeah, gonna we're not gonna open you. that can of worms now. We we know that. <laughs> that's that's a whole community. other show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I and wonder half. I wonder how many parents are going to complain because their kids are going, "Mommy, what's that?" Yeah, well, then they can leave. You know what? What is? What's that? And now the parents have to explain to their children, and it's going to take a while for it to normalize. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's it'll be really interesting once parents realize it's like, oh, it's it's not as big well, of a deal for the kids. Especially when you realize you some kids, if you have a child, they don't like wearing tops either. No, I know yeah, so yeah. many like 
kids who haven't hit puberty yet who are just like, why would I wear a shirt? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, was partial to taking the socks off. You, <laughs> you see you see that, especially in very young kids, you know, like toddlers mm-hmm. and three, four, five, yeah. and little girls, you know. It's they're, us they're adults topless who make it weird. They have, it is. Yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is, right? And you uh, and you could tell by the parent. You know, some parents, you know, they don't care to just let mm-hmm. the little girl play. Others, like, oh my god, what are you doing? Put on yeah. like a camisole or something like that, right? It's like, <laughs> it's, I, I think you're, you're setting up your kid to be, you know, uh, have a negative image of her mm-hmm. own body yeah. already. Uh-huh. Uh, something but, to be shameful. But yeah. It's like, no. Uh-huh. But let's not get into this yeah. right now. But it's a good conversation. It's a good it conversation. Is. So, another good reason to be a Canadian, I guess. And, of course, this followed a, uh, a human rights complaint in 2017 in Cornwall, Ontario, for now allowing topless at uh, municipal pools, um, although it's been legal in the country for over two decades. So, there we go. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right. So, uh, moving on. Uh, let's see. My dear Nancy, you got a top ten for us? Yeah, and it, funny enough... A real good top ten. Yeah, oh, yeah. Funny enough, this parallels in kind of a strange way what we've been talking about yeah, top 10 topless women no but this is it's it's sort of sort of in the same kind of conversation this is 10 things we buy because advertisers convinced us to do so so it has to do with you know are we buying things because we need them or because social pressure says we have to buy these things in order to fit in to the crowd? So I can tell you what's not going to be on there. The squatty potty. Because yeah. that thing is necessary. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, I I'm think surprised that, we don't have one yet. Okay, so one. so the, que- the question is, as we go through this... Is this something that would be necessary and you'd buy it anyway, or does the advertise did the advertiser convince you that you needed to? And they actually they go through ten to one. And so the the number ten that are, are the thing that we we feel as though we're I don't want to reuse the word coerced, but we'll get into it. Antiperspirant. Do we buy antiperspirant mm-hmm. because we think we need it and we don't so need it? So that's deodorant? No, yeah. it's not. It's like, no. yeah. It's, it's, it's not different. deodorant. It is different. I don't, yeah. Don't well, know it's, it's it, actually the, the antiperspirant stops the sweating and the deodorant stops the odor. Yeah. But the first antiperspirant... Wait, wait, it stops the sweating? Yes. That's yeah. That's so unhealthy. They're exactly. actually different. Oh, that's so unhealthy. But I think when they're talking about antiperspirant in terms of advertising, they're also talking about deodorant. The interesting thing was is that um, a lady named Edna Murphy uh, started a company called Odorono because her um, uh, that, that was an antiperspirant because her father, who was a doctor, invented a product that would keep his hands from slipping as a you know on the instruments mm. when he was so that's huh. how antiperspirant and so she decided that not only would it help her father but it stop your sweating under your armpits so the antiperspirant was mostly for stopping the sweat mm-hmm. but because there wasn't anything really at that time that said it was bad to to smell because everybody did but with the invention, it became a bad thing 
to smell. Yeah, and, mm. and, and fashion was also a big player in that, right? Uh, you, mm-hmm. you do, you, a lot of people wear antiperspirant to make sure you don't get like the sweat stains arm. on your clothing. And yeah. The yellow armpit. Right? Exactly, so this right? is like 1912. So the question is, would... Is this something that we are now convinced due to advertising that we need as part of our daily hygiene routine? Mm, I think so. Or not? Um, well, I've never really even heard of antiperspirant before, so I'm going to say oh. no. Okay. <laughs> for right. me? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we all sort of take it for granted that that's what we, that's what we need to do to keep offending but Keep deodorant, from offending, no, no, right here deodorant I think, is necessary. No, 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 no. Right here at Left of the Valley, we like to keep offending people. We keep offending. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I know I personally sometimes, like I do a lot of heavy lifting in a day, so I'm going to sweat, and I don't necessarily want to be like smelling bad because I work in a retail store as well, and like this just, mm-hmm. you don't want to be smelling bad necessarily. See, for me going to work, I never wear deodorant because I'm working at a dairy You're going to smell like shit anyway. Literally. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm like, why would I wear deodorant? But if I'm going like shopping or something, I sweat a lot. So I wear deodorant. What if you put like a gigantic deodorant tube of deodorant and just have the cows go underneath it? Yeah. Just put deodorant on the cows. Yeah. So, but it's interesting to me to really think about, because you don't really think about how much are we influenced by advertising. Mm -hmm. So number nine is diamond rings. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, no. Yes. One. 100% 100% <laughs> we are convinced we need actually it's well known yeah. it's well documented that the whole diamond industry invented the three months wages for a diamond and so then, it, it was just arbitrary loadable yeah, yeah. Why yeah. we did not go with diamonds. Yep. And they're really, you know, in terms of precious stones, they're probably the worst. And now they get into blood diamonds and all of this yeah. kind of stuff. But the cultural, you know, I mean, repercussions. Diamonds should have an industrial use most of all because it's, a, it's the hardest mineral on the planet. But besides that, very little value to it anyway. Yeah. And if you'd rather something that's not quite the price point of a diamond, go for a white sapphire. Or whatever. Or whatever you want. I went for a blue sapphire. I got an Gorgeous. Okay, number emeralds. eight. Shaving razors for women. Yeah. A load of bullshit. Yeah. One hundred percent. And stupid. The, the advertising really doesn't talk about razors, they talk about smooth. It's because they think women, you know, would would, would feel as though the masculine razor would be too much so they advertise it as being smooth and feminine See, I, and that's how they get to I just think peep women having to shave at all is stupid no but it, it, it's there, there, there was a, you know I think women during the 60s or 70s a lot of women decided they'd just go all natural but there's still a very smooth it's still a small percentage of women. Most women, mm-hmm. I think, are going to go ahead and shave. Although yeah. There, there's but, some... but the thing is, I think a large portion of that is because our society says that's what you have to do to be beautiful. And yeah. pe- like women are conditioned that if you have hair on your legs right. or anywhere, you're gross and you're not feminine. Yeah. So that is a large reason why a lot of women feel they have to shave. But that's a lot of it is in Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. because women in European yes. uh, and other countries, that's just part of who they are. Yeah. And nobody cares. Yeah, totally. So it just depends. So that's how advertising. That's I think one way that you can say yeah. yes, advertising. Yeah. Definitely. If I want to shave my legs, it's up to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, think, there's think, a there's a lot of controversy now about the new Gillette. Um, razor um, <laughs> commercials, commercials, yeah. but I kind of like them. I like, yeah. you know, let's show everybody. Mm-hmm. What I find funny is, you know, how many blazers are they going to put on these razors? You know, it used to be like one, then two for the longest time. That was like five, six, seven yeah. blades. Like, how many yeah. blades do you need? 
Boy, yeah. what kind of hair do you have there? It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so number eight, moving on, bottled water. Oh, that's a waste. That that I think is totally especially added. in this country. I well, I actually personally drink bottled water, but I have a reason Blasphemy. I do. Because I um, am chronically uh, dehydrated, and I get specific um, flavored water because I actually really don't like the flavor of just plain water. So I get like fruit flavored water, and it actually helps me actually stay hydrated. It's delicious. So for me, that's why I do bottled water. I'm kind of curious because I've got practically not practically speaking, but a question is: if you had a bottle. Would you be able to just use tap water and flavor it, or would? You, but I would don't you... like tap water. Okay. Well, we, well, yeah, because it depends where, right? Like, yeah, right? I, mean, yeah, yeah, well, I think what I'm saying is, could you refill it with water and use the same bottle instead yeah, of buying if, it? If, say, I was living where I grew up, where it was yeah. in the country and we the had best water ever, amazing yeah. water, then 100. Yeah. percent As we but I'm saw, in the city and I don't like the city. I, as as we saw in our Canadian show, Canada has better standards for tap water than most bottled mm-hmm. water companies. To begin with, uh, I'd be kind of curious because the water I have here in my old cooler is actually super, super, super filtered to the point that it eliminates all taste of anything tap water-wise. Mm-hmm. So I'd be kind of curious to have your opinion on it. Yeah, I'll definitely well, take a step The point is this. You can get water, filtered water, and mm-hmm. you can from a lot of different sources mm-hmm. and you can have one or two plastic bottles that you can carry it around in. Mm-hmm. I think the point is could you do that or are you going to go out and buy the 24 plastic bottles and use them and then dispose of them mm-hmm. and, and 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 it creates a problem in the uh in the uh yeah. you know the ecology mm-hmm. of things so well, is, we is it the advertising yeah. that's causing you to buy the bottles yeah. not the water hmm. well that's, that's an a, interesting yeah. debate there yeah our yeah. reasoning for buying the bottles is was just we're lazy <laughs> Yeah. Well, a lot of it, yeah. In order to try to encourage us to actually yeah. drink more, and it's actually—it's it's not that I'm lazy. I'm just super, super depressed a lot of the time. Yeah. And so um, making encourage me to get off the couch some days is hard. It's actually it's, funny because since we've haven't bought that in a little while, I've actually been like, I need water. I'm going to go get water, and I just add some ice cubes and make it really cold, and then we're good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so number six, since we're on the edible cereals, mm. up until um, about. The early 1900s, people ate everything but cereal for breakfast. And there's Why? a lot of countries where they don't eat cereals. They eat salads and other, you know, fresh huh. fruits and vegetables. But, um, you See, know, eggs or, or whatever. <laughs> and then when cereal was um, not discovered but made, and mostly because of the health people like, you know, Graham and other people like that, uh, the, the Industrial Revolution people... Um, well, people needed something quick and easy to eat in the morning, and so um, it was a healthier, um, uh, a healthier food. And the Adventist Church, in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, invented cornflakes hmm. and uh, said it was better for your uh, digestion and other problems. It was supposed to. Oh, wasn't this also supposed to inhibit? Uh, sexual tensions and I mean like like stop you from wow yeah those yeah. are seventh it stop you from masturbating yeah yeah exactly wow exactly. Yeah. yeah I knew there was a reason I didn't like flaked cereals <laughs> yeah so well then yeah then cereal manufacturers added vitamins and started promoting them as a perfect breakfast and then the more they advertised the more cereals uh, caught mm-hmm. on. Yeah, no, I actually would totally agree that cereals as like a breakfast staple are 
pure purely because of advertising. Yeah, I think it's a North American thing, really. Yeah, because yeah. I, I for cereal for me is a really good quick meal that's easy, and I eat it. Any and let, time let's of face the day. it, most cereals today are <laughs> pretty horrible yeah. to begin yeah, with. Yeah, but look, I, at the, I, look at the advertising for for cereals, and look at the cereal mm-hmm. aisle. You know, it's like a wonderland uh, of any, anybody sugar. who's a parent knows what happens yeah. when you go in the cereal aisle. The kids lose their mind. They, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like a wonderland. So number five, believe it or not. Popcorn. Okay. Really? Yeah. I, I, I always thought popcorn was a bit of a waste. I mean, it's, it's nothing but air, really. <laughs> I mean, where I work, we have a popcorn machine, so I have free popcorn all day long. Yeah. It's way worse, way worse when you go into the movie theater, you're paying five bucks for a Oh, anything air. in the movie theater oh, is overpriced. The yes. interesting thing is that we associate popcorn with theaters, but um, in the 1800s, it was sold everywhere except the theaters. And hmm. then um, when people started going to the movies, they thought... That popcorn was um, uh, was targeting the, um, uh, the, the the theaters didn't want popcorn in the theaters because they they thought it would ruin their their carpets. Mm. But then uh, things started to change when poor people began to go to the cinemas and they wanted the popcorn. So there was a little to and fro. Mm-hmm. And in 1927, popcorn and uh, theaters became firmly entwined because people really, were bringing their own bags they're getting really fancy now i mean yeah. when i was a kid popcorn was always you know the classic popcorn a bit of butter and that's it now you go into these places now they have like caramel chocolate popcorn yeah. and parmesan garlic popcorn yeah. i do I like know. the white cheddar popcorn it is very good yeah, and you know when you go to the movies they always have this time to go for popcorn and everybody gets up you know in mass and gets their popcorn so advertising i think is you know, really help the popcorn industry. Okay, number four. This is interesting. Toothpaste. Hmm. Do you think that that the advertising has driven you? Yes. Or, or do you think it's just good to brush your teeth and you'd buy it it's, without It's not whether or not it's good to brush your teeth. It's the quantity of toothpaste you put on your toothbrush. Oh. Because if you actually, if 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 from dentists, what if dentists have told me, if you look at the uh, the the nail on your pinky finger there, that's about the quantity of toothpaste you actually need. Uh-huh. But if you look at a commercial, they put that big slob that yeah. covers yeah. the whole length of the brush that curls on both ways. Yeah, it's totally designed to do just that. And you only need like a pea size. Exactly. Well, the interesting thing to me about the advertising here is that um, people's teeth are not normally really white. Dentine nope. is sort of a yellow, mm. and everybody gets this little film on their teeth. Mm-hmm. And so the advertising people actually was the, the Pepsodent people realized that um, they could devise a campaign to help them sell more toothpaste to make your teeth white. Mm-hmm. Not to necessarily remove all that film, but it's the white, the yeah. smile. And so you do it for health, but the advertising, I think that we're all... Well, you think you do it for are, health. But... Well, the question, are we are we more subject to the, the white smile than we are to... To the actual well, health. What I'm wondering, and I've always, I've always wanted to ask, like you know, the dentistry and industry and all that stuff, is you know, what exactly is the process that they use to make your teeth whiter? Like they have also these these gimmicks where you, you know, it's, it's almost something you put on on your teeth. There, it's not necessarily like toothpaste. You the know, white the, strips. Yeah, the white strips and stuff like that. What exactly is the process here? Are they basically stripping off a layer off the top of your uh, your teeth kind to reveal what's whiter underneath? If it is. 
aren't you just weakening your teeth by doing that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a lot of questions about stuff like that because, you know, you, you see that on the, on, the, on the commercial and they'll have these models with a nice, nice well, white smile. But, you know, you kind of raise an eyebrow and say, what, what, how do, what exactly is happening here? Well, I'm going to answer your question because okay. number four is teeth whitening. There we go. We're <laughs> moving from, from the nice minty, you know, um, uh, feeling fresh to teeth whitening, which um, has to do with hydrogen peroxide. It's a liquid agent that passes through the enamel into the dentine, and it breaks apart the compounds that makes the dentine yellow. And that's what people are using. But there are concerns that hydrogen peroxide could damage the enamel yeah. and cause other yeah. permanent or temporary dental problems. So most people are willing to take that risk. I don't think most people teeth. are aware that risk is Yeah, there. I don't think they know. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That's the thing, right? I mean, I they don't exactly market it. No, exactly. <laughs> if they said, warning, you know, this might weaken yeah. your teeth, I think they'd see a drop, yeah, a substantial drop. As the politicians say, I misspoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think they realize there is a, is a risk. And I don't know whether there's anything in terms of scientific studies at this point that show people who have used teeth whitening products for a long period of time have suffered you know, the breakdown mm-hmm. of, of, the, uh, of the enamel. That's a good question. Okay, number two, every, almost every holiday out there is subject to advertising okay. yes. to get us to buy a yes. card, a gift. So do you feel compelled because of the advertising? Or Hold you, on, are you telling me that uh-oh. Valentine's Day, Easter, and Christmas are only geared towards shopping? Get out. Yep. I hate to break that bubble. Oh, God. And Mother's Day. So disillusioned. Mother's Day. I mean, they've really made people feel so guilty. Halloween's the best holiday. It is. Yes. At least Halloween's fun. It truly is. But also, you aren't obliged to go see family. (laughs) Is that why you love it so much? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So here's here's one that. And it makes Christian's butt hurt. This is going to be interesting. See what you think about this. The number one product that list first, where I got this from, says is is the the worst in terms of how we are uh, falling for advertising is toilet paper. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that because you know humans have been doing their thing forever and ever, mm-hmm. and they used to use whatever was handy, and then toilet paper got invented and so now everybody you know runs out and buys buys toilet paper because they think that's the only thing but it's convenient and it works so are we subject to advertising because of it well maybe if we start getting into the pure soft cottonelle three ply i mean double-sided we do the royale velour but like when you go somewhere fancy nancy i just rather a boudet a bidet a bidet bidet yeah they're the best like when you look at that one versus like a one or two ply you do feel the difference i know i went away for it wasn't even a full week and i missed my toilet paper (laughs) i really did it's a weird thing but i'm like mine is so much nicer she never said she missed us but she missed the toilet paper you know yeah, but you would, but, but you're not, you're not buying it because of the advertising. You're buying it because it's convenient and you like. Yeah, yeah. 
So it's like interesting. It. I'm just creeped out. Because we don't actually even have, sorry to cut you off there, Kevin, but we don't actually even have TV. So we don't get all the commercials like that you would normally get on TV. Uh, we still get them on like Facebook and like I'm just internet. creeped out by the Charmin Bears. But you're still, yeah, you get them in some, in some form. Anyway, I think it's, it's interesting to color. see, you know, how we are, because some of the advertising is really so subtle that we don't realize that when we walk into a store, we see a product and we say, oh, you know, I think I'm going to try that mm-hmm. because it's supposed to do, it's supposed to make my life better. It's supposed to, you know, make me more attractive to other people and it's supposed to make me richer, you know, and, you, and all of these things are, you know, are very subtle. And, and, but you think, okay, I'm going to buy the product and it's going to make me feel oh, so yeah, good. Yeah. We are, well, of course, with the advent of social media and how they're gearing up, they're, they're essentially uh, uh, personalizing advertising for what you like. Yeah. It, it makes it difficult for some people to resist. It was also something very interesting. Sometimes uh, we like to compare ourselves to our American friends. There are some uh, interesting differences also in advertising standards between our countries uh, for example there, there's um, in the United States they're actually allowed stores are actually allowed to put something in the air like scents and perfumes yeah. that are geared to make you buy more stuff really yeah you're not allowed to do that here in Canada oh, but on, on on the flip side of it uh, I remember when I had a, uh, an American girlfriend and she used to she used to come up here and we'd watch TV and then she would see a, an ad for Trojan condoms and she would just be blown out of her mind mm-hmm. so I'm like my god you guys can advertise this stuff up mm-hmm. here I said yeah absolutely right so yeah. <laughs> so it really is interesting to see the differences between our two countries just with simple simple things that like advertising yeah well anyway that was our exploration into subliminal yes. advertising and it is it's really interesting we'll, we'll all be a little more alert I think this week. All right, to, to perfect. What, what, what we're influenced by. Thank you, my dear Nancy. You betcha. All right, Kirsten, you got another brilliant moment for us? Oh, I do. Oh, brought to you by religion. So, a couple months ago, artist Ian Anthony Lang created this nifty sculpture of Spider-Man's hands close <laughs> to the Lincoln that. Children's Zoo in Nebraska. Okay, you got to describe the sculpture. Well, if you've ever seen Spider-Man and how he holds his hands when he's shooting you ever, his you ever seen Spider-Man shooters. Nancy huh? you ever seen Spider-Man you mean the movies well yeah well basically the, the, the super the two big red hands like, yeah. uh, like the, the hands are like the size of um, both hands together almost like the size of a feet. car right right okay. and he, he when he shoots his web he kind of folds his middle two fingers like that in the palm oh, of his okay. hand so he kind of shoots like that right yeah. and yeah. that's what quit, they quit. do both hands are kind of like this okay right? so this is the sculpture essentially of Spider-Man's hands oh okay and so it's one of those things that everyone likes to stop and take a picture in front of. Yeah. Uh, the project was one of dozens of works of art placed around the city as part of the Serving Hands Lincoln program. But this week, a woman wrote a nasty letter to the mayor demanding the sculpture be taken down because it reminds her of not Spider-Man. Uh, so just to give a description. Little horns. <laughs> like Kevin was saying, it's the two hands open, painted red and black, and formed into devil horns, she wrote. <laughs> Calling the art Spider-Man, it's the devil horse. Anti-Christian, right? demonic, and completely inappropriate for showcase near a family attraction. Oh, I'm well, so glad she brought that to our. Well, attention. you know, I, I could, I, 
I almost want to give her the benefit of a doubt because I can see the confusion, right? Spider-Man, he's he's wearing all red. Although the hands, you know, for for anybody who knows Spider-Man, you'll see the 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 webbing lines on the hands, right, mm-hmm. to yeah. represent the the Spider-Man. But if you don't know Spider-Man, they just look like two giant red hands. Yeah. Right. And you, this, obviously, this woman has no idea, you know. Yeah. So, and of course, because like I said, the two middle fingers fold in the palm of the hand, it kind of gives you that devil symbol, the rock, the on, rock on, on thing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so she demanded that the city move the six foot fighter Spider-Man sculpture because it's ugly, perverse, and a hate crime against the church. Mm. <laughs> Other than that, she loves it. A hate crime, she says. Yeah. I mean, clearly she doesn't know who Spider-Man is. And um, is he insect overlord? <laughs> that wouldn't be an issue, except for her gut reaction was to perceive the sculpture as anti-Christian. Uh, in this case, the woman was told that these weren't devil horns and that the art wouldn't be removed for that reason. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think Spider-Man would be anti-Christian because, you know, he's the kind of guy who cares for others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and wouldn't it be the arachnid overlord? Sure. Whatever. <laughs> it's I not the Lord of the Flies, I guess. It's Lord <laughs> of the Bugs and Lord of the Arachnids. I guess, oh. she, I guess she didn't have children. <laughs> Guess not. Yeah, I guess so. Or the kids never mentioned it. Either that or she homeschooled them and they were so clueless. They they thought yeah. their mother was correct. The kids are rolling their eyes and says, Mom, please yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's Spider-Man, we tell you. Can't you see the web? See the web there? <laughs> it's all in the web. <laughs> all right, moving on. Conservative blogger Lori Alexander has a gift for taking ordinary things and twisting them into something shameful. She despises women who won't, who don't have sex with their husbands whenever he wants. Fuck that. She thinks paid leave is bad for America since it rewards women who work outside the home. Fuck that. Uh-huh. And she insists all men only want women who are debt-free virgins with no tattoos. Fuck oh. that. <laughs> Cherry top. Her latest take is on eating and how women who eat too much really have no respect for the men in their lives. How would you respond if your husband one day looked at you and said, you're eating too much. You need to lose weight. I'd say, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, we don't tell him to fuck off. But most women, and correctly, most women would be highly offended and angry with their husbands. Some would even tell him that's none of their business and that they shouldn't ask them to do this. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> is this the godly wife's response the godly no. wife response a godly wife would tell her husband that she will stop eating so much and begin to lose weight since she knows that when she obeys her husband she is obeying god okay well what if, uh, god i hate religion so much yes mm-hmm. i mean th- th- does she realize that what, what if you know what if she quote unquote submits to his uh, body image of her but it's an unhealthy image you know, what if this guy really thinks that, you know, super, super skinny is what he wants, but it's like beyond, it's not healthy for her, obviously, to be that skinny. But if we're not talking healthy, we're talking total submission. Yes. But when are you ever going to learn? Kevin? Well, yeah, I eat too much. Yeah, we're just yeah. skipping over the marital <laughs> rape part. Even if it offends her sensibilities, she would keep her emotions under control, respond to her husband's request with respect. God and go about damn. eating less and losing weight. Well, does that Such mean a that, toxic Yeah, but yeah, can, can we reverse this? Can she say, well, you know what? You need to put well, on no. 20 pounds of no. muscle. She's a woman. She's not allowed to literally say anything nope. ever. Uh, Other than yes, sir. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. Not and, even and no, vote, sir. And vote straight yes, Republican. Sir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even if you're punching yourself in the face. 
Wow. So if you want to be a godly woman, you have to do everything your husband says and basically be a robot. Yeah. Gross. Now go in the kitchen. Even robots have more. Then then he's going to tell you, go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a comic about that. It was two gamers. And he said, Are you a woman? She's like, Yeah. He's like, Go in the woman or go go in the woman. Go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich. So she goes to the kitchen, does some weird little mind trick, and turns him into a sandwich. (laughs) <laughs> She's like, why do guys keep asking me to do this? She had superpowers? That's her power? That was her turn, power. Turn people into sandwiches. Yeah. I've, you know, I can't really think of a worse fate than being turned into a sandwich. Being turned into Donald Trump? A uh, Donald uh, Trump sandwich. Uh, yeah. No, I think being turned into someone who has to be around Donald Trump with no choice. Oh, God. Being turned into Melania Trump. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, yeah, let's well. not go there today. You know what? You know what? She... <laughs> I hate to say it, but she kind of chose her fate there. Well, uh, she wasn't expecting her gold digging to turn into that, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Pretty sure she wasn't actually expecting him to be president when she married him. No, but... No. Anyway. She was like, I just wanted a quiet gold digging uh, life. I don't have a lot of pity for either one of these characters. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, no. I don't either. All right. So let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll have the sultry, sexy voice of Seth Andrews with us. So stay with us. Listen to the Zachary Cast podcast, YouTube video, interview program that features me talking to some of the best and brightest in the atheist slash secular slash awesome community. I interview people. We curse and usually drink beer because why not? It's the Zachary Cast, Z A C H R I L E G E, and I can spell it after two beers, so you can too. podcast listeners we are the godless heathens podcast here's the details with no fine print you got new episodes available every other sunday Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. there's three of us just like the holy trinity i'm don i'm jeff and i'm jerry coming to you from a spare bedroom in exurban atlanta where we'll examine the crossroads of politics and religion, but from the secular perspective. Sometimes we get heavy, sometimes we get deep. And no one is above reproach or mockery, especially each other. It's more of what you want and less of what you don't. So open your hearts and minds to the godless heathens in your podcast rotation. And you just might learn something, too. century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another four to eight degrees. What I'm saying is the planet's on fucking fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the fuck up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? All right, well, our next guest needs really no introduction. You know, usually you ask them to give an, uh, a little bio by themselves. But you know what? If you don't know who Seth Andrew is, you've been living in on Mars in a cave <laughs> with your, your hands in your ears or something like that, you know. And Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he is the host of The Thinking Atheist and an author and an all-around 
coffee connoisseur. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dresser. Seth Andrews, thank you so much for coming back to Lift the Valley. Thanks for the uh, invite. Good to talk to everybody again. You guys are like family, so it's yeah. good to hang out. So. Good to know. By the end of this, we'll be the favorite family, too, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seth, uh, like I said, you know, normally I ask people to give a, a bio about themselves, but everybody knows you. You're like favorite of everybody. Everybody just loves Seth. So we're just going to dive right into it. Lately, there's been a lot of talk on uh, both sides of our respective countries about uh, freedom of speech. And I thought, you know, who better than a man who grew up as a broadcaster, you know, a Christian broadcaster, and actually went through a pretty amazing apostasy and now does a living being still a broadcaster, but for, for podcasts. I thought, you know, who else but Seth could actually talk about free speech? So I said, you know, maybe I'll ask you thoughts about that. So maybe you want to give us your, your, your quick thoughts on how do you feel about free speech? Are you like an absolutist about free speech? How, how do you value it? Well, you know, I don't know if I'm an absolutist. I just... You know, I and you said, well, everybody loves Seth. And the truth is, is that there are some people who just think I'm the devil. And it's because I I don't think that we censor even really the worst speech out there. You know, if white supremacists are out and they are spewing their horrible, you know, toxicity, mm -hmm. I think, I, you know, I stand against it with every fiber of my being. But they have a right to have and express that hatred or that opinion, not to incite violence. But, you know, it, it's like the perfect is the enemy of the good, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and so we don't have a perfect solution when it comes to this type of thing. Because once you start censoring what people can and cannot say, you enter an arena where there is a subjective third party who is going to determine for you what you can hear. And I don't want someone else taking that responsibility from me. Christopher Hitchens once gave a speech and he was talking about speech. And he's like, you know, who would you charge to be the person who will decide for you what speech is or is not acceptable, what ideas you cannot or can or cannot be presented with? And I think... You know, our freedom of speech laws in the United States, they don't exist to protect the speech we like. It's there to protect the speech that we don't like because both have to exist in the arena of ideas. And it's, again, an, an imperfect solution, but I would rather err on the side of speech. I don't think that we start going... Uh, we start declaring you can't say that, you can't express that, you can't be that. I think you can, and then I have every right under the free speech model that we live in to say that's abhorrent, I disagree, I think it's morally bankrupt, I stand against it, mm. and to rally those on my side who uh, agree to try to overwhelm evil with good, so to speak. Our, our countries are different in that aspect because right here in Canada, for example, we have some limits on free speech. It's free speech as well, but you know the uh, the you're not allowed to in, incite hate or violence with free speech. A good example that we usually give is uh, when the Westboro Baptist Church tried to come up here a couple of years ago to protest the way they usually do. They were actually stopped at the border and turned around and said, "No, you cannot do this because we know that what you guys are up to, and uh, we won't allow you." Do you feel that the American unfeathered way of just letting everything go is because it's not just Canada, right? I mean, your well, example has got some some restrictions as well, right? Like in France, for example, you're not allowed to say anything that could be viewed really anti-Semitic. 
Well, we have anti-incitement laws mm-hmm. here. I mean, you know, you you the, the difficulty is is that what is incitement? There are some very clear demonstrations of someone inciting another to violence. And, you know, go hey, get your gun, go out and harm someone else is an incitement to violence. Mm-hmm. And that speech is not a free speech uh, thing. It, that's actually a it's a crime. It's you're you are prompting or or promoting the harm of another human being. You are breaking the law. Um, one of the free speech discussions that I hear, though, is when someone comes out and they say, "I hate this person." Mm. You know, the uh, freaking you know clan comes out and they say, "We hate non-whites," or mm. "We think they're subhuman," or whatever. And this tremendously toxic and abhorrent speech. And they'll hear that and say, those are incitements to violence. And that's when these waters get really turbulent because uh, there isn't a direct go out and hurt people, but there is the dehumanization of other human beings, you know. And many people believe that that dehumanization is part of a model that creates um, the violence against non-whites by people, you know, organizations like clan organizations, the white supremacist groups, neo-Nazis, etc. So it's it's a messy thing. I I myself would rather see, and this sounds like a freaking Mentos commercial, but I would just rather <laughs> see us overwhelm the hate with demonstrations of love and morality and goodness and acceptance and respect for all human beings mm-hmm. of all shapes, stripes, colors, backgrounds, creeds, etc. And um, that way, you know, otherwise, I think you're just swatting at the symptoms of hatred. You're swatting at, you know, these outward actions that they do. Even if you make them illegal, you still haven't dealt much with the root that drives that type of speech. And I think you have to go and solve it at the root level. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. We'll never kill hatred throughout the world as long as it's as long as ignorance and corruption and political expediency exist but i don't think that we give up the fight just because it's a difficult mountain to climb but would it would it be reasonable in your in your view if i came in and proposed something you know let's say for example i said uh, i hate people people from parador which is a great country by the way it doesn't even exist so <laughs> I, I hate people from parador should be allowed to be said and we should shoot them I think is where the line is crossed. Yeah, I. You can hold a personal opinion, a terrible, horrible, awful, backward opinion, but the minute you say, "I, I think we should go exterminate them," mm-hmm. uh, now we're crossing into the lines of action and incitement, and and wherever possible, I think you know we have to to try to nip that in the bud. We don't want to see this type of stuff fostered. We certainly don't want to see harm come to other human beings. Which but one? can you police ideas? Good luck with that. Yeah, no, no fair enough. Mm-hmm. But you guys are allowed to say that, something like that in the States. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the interesting free, free speech that's going on now is the back and forth between the four congresswomen and Trump mm. because they're both exercising their right to free speech which is not, you know, particularly fascinating, but th- they're doing what they need to do. What's fascinating to me is the reaction, because you get a reaction by those who 
are 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 good and follow what you're saying, Seth, is to be able, you know, to to um, you know embrace and diversity and and be able to overcome it with love you have those people and then you have the people who are totally silent you know realizing that they're allowing um, Trump to get away with speech that almost comes up to incitement and then stops but there's no deterrent there's no backlash really by a lot of lot of individuals so that that free speech that's been going on for the past week has been really interesting to me. What do you think about it? I'm interested in, like, I didn't know much about Cortez. Mm. Uh, and I'm a fan. Like, I, you know, I, I know that she's, uh, there's no perfect politician. And there may be some of the you know arguments that she's grandstanding a little bit. Oh, well, maybe. But politicians simply do that. Mm. But the fact that she has gone in, guns blazing at the front end, that she she seems rather fearless and yet she hasn't lost her empathy and compassion there's a tremendous amount that i really do like about her as as a person and as a as a, even as a politician and um as far as trump goes you know it's mid 2019 i dread waking up in the morning and checking the headlines it's like that picard meme that says damage report i mean every day i just <laughs> log on and go you know what what fresh horror awaits us today the one useful thing though about trump in the arena of free speech and being able to see him just be unfettered and unhinged untethered on twitter and elsewhere and to see his followers many of them evangelicals who have tethered themselves to him uh, under this sort of uh, guise of moral superiority and God and country rhetoric. It, one useful thing has been, and I, I heard someone say that Donald Trump is like a black light at a crime scene. He's really <laughs> exposing the stains, mm. the, like you know, that. the where where the the awfulness is, it's allowing us to see in full living color where our, we are weakest at the seams. And I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was this bad. Like, I didn't know that he could, that Donald Trump could be as awful as he is and his base of evangelicals would still hold a 75% plus yeah, approval amazing. rating. I, yeah, I thought at some point, even the Franklin, even for political reasons, political expediency, the Franklin Grahams and the James Dobsons and hell, my own parents, would see some of this untoward awfulness and they would walk the other direction and say, okay, we've had enough. Yeah, and yeah. instead they've doubled down. And this is an instance where allowing them, uh, allowing these bad ideas to have the white hot spotlight has had uh, the benefit of exposing it for the awfulness that it is. And I think it uh, gives us, the rest of us, uh, a real chance to sort of counter it with better ideas. Seth, we already have, as a society, limited some some things on free speech. The classic example of you can't yell fire in a crowded place, right? Are are we are we mature enough as a species to really have free speech? <sighs> you weren't expecting yeah. these kind of questions, were you? <laughs> Sorry for playing uh, devil's advocate here. <laughs> what you're asking then, I'm sorry, your question actually is, Seth, how do we fix the world? Uh, okay, well, let me think about that. 
All right, you know, I, I struggle with us as a species. I mean, it's a, an amazing time to be alive, but it's also a time when the, what is it, more than half of people surveyed on these on-the-street surveys couldn't tell you who our own vice president is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I forgot what the number was, it was an alarming percentage of people couldn't name one of our Supreme Court justices. You know, they know more about the Kardashians than they know about what's happening, really happening in the world. And so here we are in this sort of spoon-fed entertainment culture. In many ways, they get all their information from their Twitter feeds, and those Twitter feeds have algorithms in place which sort of reinforce what they already think. Mm -hmm. And so, and it also distances us from other human beings because we're mashing at a keyboard in some sort of a distance interaction with an avatar instead of sitting eye to eye with another flesh and blood three-dimensional human being and Mm. and uh there's so many gears in this particular machine i worry about us in terms of cultural maturity i worry about us in terms of celebrated ignorance i worry about us in terms of empathy and and the fact that we always dehumanize our enemy. And we'll see this especially with the political thing ramping back up for the 2020 U.S. presidential election. You know, all Democrats are this. All Republicans are that. All Trump supporters are that. All Biden supporters are this. All yeah, Everybody is using these sort of extremely broad blanket statements to brand or label what uh, sometimes are complex situations and people. And if you say that, they just lose their minds and they say that you're a sellout and you're a, a centrist and, you know, these are, we're at war, damn it. And you need to, you know, choose a side. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, I want to choose the side of accuracy and truth. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out what's true. A great example, I'm doing a speech around the country called Not Everybody Who Disagrees With You Is Hitler. Hitler released to uh, YouTube in late November. Mm-hmm. I'm about to give the speech in Denver at the Colorado Secular Conference on the 27th, but it talks about that scenario. You guys remember that scenario at the Washington Mall with Nick Sandman, the kid in the MAGA hat from the Catholic school, mm-hmm. and yes, uh, yes. Nate Phillips, who was the Native American. He was bang- banging this drum, and everybody picked up the story and lost their minds over it. And you know, he had disrespected a Native American veteran. He's a MAGA racist KKK member, you know, whatever horrible thing they brought out. And of course, I was looking at him going, you know, when I was freaking 18, I looked a lot like this kid. <laughs> I was a, I was a dyed in the wool, uh, smug, cocky, evangelical activist, young man who had been raised in a tiny cocoon who hadn't really been introduced to the world who might have been at that anti-abortion march. I was that guy, you know. And so my point was, is that first of all, there was a lot more to that story than was ever presented on Twitter. And we get into some of that. And the second thing is, is that while many people wanted to ruin his life, he had death threats, his school got death threats, people there and his parents and his family and everybody. And I'm not saying he's He's not guilty of some really awful stuff. Uh, I'm not letting him off the hook when I say that I don't want to ruin this guy. I want to reach this guy because he reminds me a lot of who I was when I was this minnow in the world. And rather than go out and just say, well, he can never be reached. Let's stomp him under our boot. uh, Which is sport in the Twitterverse, ruin people. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I think I'd like to try to get under that skin and get this kid thinking about all the things in the world that he does not know and all of the wonderful people that he's not yet been introduced to properly and all the ideas that are out there that will enhance his worldview so that maybe when he's my age or, or much sooner, maybe he can be liberated from bad ideas mm -hmm. and we've solved the problem at the root instead of just swatting at the symptoms. Forgive the long answer, but that's sort of my philosophical take on your question. No, no, so. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, I, I had a quick question because something you said earlier just kind of piqued my interest there, how you said that, you know, you wouldn't want a third party to start dictating with the limits of free speech. And of course, the first thing that comes to mind is government. Do you feel that maybe sometimes your upbringing as an American forces a, a certain view upon you of government that might not be shared with the rest of the world? I mean, a lot of Americans are very uh, leery of the government to begin with. A lot of other cultures in other countries don't have that same view. They'll say something like, well, the government is us. We participate in it. Do you feel that sometimes American or might, might be a bit too close-minded as to the possibility of us coming together to be able to regulate ourselves? Well, you know, when I was a, a conservative Republican, mm -hmm. uh, we very much had a small government get the government out of our business. It was a very libertarian almost kind of a a vibe uh, where private sectors, private organizations can do it better. Mm -hmm. uh, the government is just nothing but bureaucracy and rampant waste. And and we were speaking in terms of uh, even as we were using social programs funded by taxpayer dollars through the entity of the government, you know, we were very cynical about government. And much of that changed when I left the faith and I started to reevaluate all of my positions, both philosophically and politically. And uh, now I've come down on the other side quite a bit where, and I think you'll see that divide in our country. You'll find that the uh, grand old party, the Republicans, the conservatives, and libertarians and the like are distrustful of the albatross of government, and they have some good reason to be distrustful. I mean, we think about, you know, name a government program that's come in on time and under budget, you know, those types of things. Yeah. Uh, is there a lot of accountability when they are a de facto monopoly and they don't have to compete against other organizations and how much real waste and, and corruption is there? The idea that it's government instead of private doesn't insulate it from problems, corruption, waste. And these are legitimate. At the same time, when you sort of step out of that, as I did, and you look at government as a utility and part of how we function as a society to benefit our fellow human beings, then you stop seeing the ideas, at least in its purest form, the ideas of government-run healthcare uh, and those types of things as something to be opposed, but rather you see it as something that we should rely on. You know, I'm a little envious of Canada because despite a few horror stories I hear from time to time, apparently your healthcare system is quite effective. And um, and this is emulated in nations all around the world. And I wonder about our resistance. Some of that resistance is this lie that we've told ourselves that private companies are going to do it with greater integrity than the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you have flawed, wasteful, often corrupt human beings in both entities, but we don't scrub government from the conversation simply because it's the government or because we've been conditioned to be afraid of the word socialism you know yeah oh yeah for sure, for sure. 
That's interesting. Uh, and, of course, in the current political landscape that you guys are facing in the U.S., I mean, let's face it, for, for lack of a better term here, uh, we, we could almost be forgiven for saying there's a rise in fascism in the U.S. Uh, or do you think I'm taking it too far if I say that? Well, I mean, there are fascists. We, we see the rise of a great many ugly elements who have been empowered through the last few years of Trump and yeah. they feel that, you know, he's their guy and they are now, this is their moment in the sun. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're seeing the guys with the tiki torches, the neo-Nazis marching in the street. Uh, there is a, I think, an attempt by some to paint a hyperbolic picture where the neo-Nazis are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we become, you know, the United States is now uh, pre-World War II Nazi Germany, and they're posting all of these uh, memes with Hitler and the giant crowds, and and you know, I and they they're like it's war, you know, we have to do something. And then many of the times that I've seen this, I think they are trying to give themselves an excuse to participate in extremist behavior because mm -hmm. they believe these are extreme times. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that ugliness does exist. I think that there are. A tremendous, uh, tremendously bad agents out there who are doing tremendously bad things. I think you don't have to look too far to find them. But I also think there's a tremendous number of people here who do not think in this way, who reject this uh, bigotry and, and who want to see love and respect and goodness and equality and and uh, they feel this way, not just for us here in the United States, but on a more global scale, mm -hmm. you know, we are the human family. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I'm not trying to dodge. What I'm saying is that, you know, we have significant problems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but so it's not, you know, we're, the whole place is not turned into Nazi Germany, which is a narrative I think some are trying to push out there. No, no, I, w I, w I would agree with you. But if we're, if we're saying, for example, that we should let these less than desirable element of society um, speak freely, are we basically arguing that fascists should be if we're if we're arguing that fascists should be defeated through debate are we are we not suggesting that vulnerable minorities who of course they attack should have to endlessly argue for their right to exist and at no point we should say you know what the, the debate is done on this we don't need to bring this back well i don't think we um trying to I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I've had people misconstrue what I've said in the past, okay. gleefully so. We don't want that to happen. Um, I, I, I just don't think that the solution is to say th these words are outlawed mm -hmm. because I have kind of what I would call even a bigotry of lowered expectations about a specific group who... Um, I'm not talking about the marginalized groups, but let's just say, what about the most impressionable out there who would be sucked up by these horrible ideas? They would see these charismatic leaders come forward and they would immediately start to gravitate toward them. Well, that's kind of a bigotry of lowered expectations. Essentially, we're saying, well, let me do the thinking for you. Let me decide for you what it is that you should be introduced to because you're too weak-minded to be able to do that. So I, I reject that. And two, I think, you know, as far as the marginalized groups, we have long been fighting for their right to vote, to uh, not be treated with bigotry and discrimination in our private homes, in our 
organizations, our corporations, our governments, our culture. And I think these are discussions that are going to have to continue. Anytime we see a marginalized group, I think we have to uh, we have to operate not that, oh, let's make it illegal so no one's talking about it. Because even if you make it illegal on the surface, people are still talking about it behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. I think we have sure. to change the culture overall. Mm-hmm. And that means we have to defeat evil with good. And by evil, I don't mean an evil spirit, but evil deeds, evil thoughts, uh, evil intent. And we simply overwhelm the the bad ideas and go out and and – I'm reminded of a – there's an activist. uh, She's actually a Muslim, but I've just – I've fallen in love with her work. Her name is Dia Khan, and she has a – Netflix documentary called White Right Facing the Enemy, right? If you go out to a a neo-Nazi rally, they're ready for you to stand across the street from them and scream and shout and have your placards and point fingers and spit and carry on, maybe even start a fist fight. Mm -hmm. They're ready for that. You know, and, and everybody doubles down. Everybody loses their mind. There's headlines, which is maybe part of what they want out there. Dia Khan rejected that. What she did was she took a video camera and she went into the living rooms of several white supremacists, neo-Nazis, face-to-face, sitting four feet across from them. And she rolled a tape, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And she spoke to them directly, but with empathy and compassion you know, I, take a look at me, she would say. Do you think that I'm less than a human being? Do you think that I don't deserve to live? Do you think that I should be deported and left and, and cut out of yeah. all the things this country has to offer? I'm paraphrasing. And where these neo-Nazis who'd been wearing their swastika tattoos and had been frothing and screaming and out there yeah, in the big groups in the parades, they were completely disarmed when mm-hmm. they were treated in this way by Dia Khan. They had no one guy couldn't finish the interview. He had to. He said, "Please stop." I, I'm just. He just totally overloaded. And what we had seen was they had been presented not with the other, the out group, their enemy, you know, the subhuman, mm-hmm. but they had been face to face presented with an actual flesh and blood human being who was talking to them. I'm not saying this is always the case. I'm just saying this is a case study in what's possible. And after the. Uh, Interviews took place, and the uh, it's an hour-long documentary on Netflix released. She got a letter from one of the interviewees, and he said, after uh, after we spoke, I did some thinking, and I realized I could no longer I could no longer be a white supremacist. And he walked away from hate. Wow. And there are many instances. There's another film about a guy uh, called Erasing Hate. He had facial tattoos with racial messages. He walked away from hate. There are other people who started anti-hate groups after they walked away from hate. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to focus my time and energy. I'm not saying we can always sit down face to face with the people who are awful or doing awful things or saying awful things. But I am saying that many of these people are victims of bad ideas, brainwashed people. And if we can cut through some of that, instead of swatting at the symptoms, we could actually change minds. And then they become the most powerful forces for good on our side, on the side of dignity, respect, humanism. And uh, and it's rare, but it does happen. I think it should happen more often, but we have to f- sort of uh, fertilize those grounds, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it's a lot easier to thrill people with hatred than it is with reason. Yeah. 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 That's the. Yeah. Unfortunate. And it feels good in the short term to go out there and, you know, you feel like a crusader. I understand the emotional satisfaction. I understand the pain that marginalized groups feel. I mean, these people have been scarred and wounded and, and they have a legitimate, legitimate outrage about how they've been treated and their loved ones have been treated. And I get that. I mean, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when everybody's done screaming, what actually changed? And, um, you know, I want to change the world. I, I just let's try to find out whatever way that is. I just don't think throwing bottles and milkshakes and invective and everything else at other people. That's any sort of long term solution. I really don't think so. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So. So would you punch a Nazi set? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, you know what's funny about punching? And I did a show called "When to Punch a Nazi" as a two-part series a few years ago. I, I I'm curious how many people who are pro-Nazi punching have actually punched anybody. I think most of them are just they're all hat, no cattle, mm-hmm. right? They yeah. just like to say it, makes them feel mm-hmm. good. Go out there and punch those Nazis. There was somebody a few weeks ago who was saying that kind of stuff, and I just said, how many how many actual Nazis have you punched in your own life? And there was a long pause. And the response was not enough. And I thought, okay, that's zero. <laughs> yeah. Right? You're you're just you're just blathering. You're just a talker, is what you are. Not that I want them to go out and and harm people, but I'm like a lot of these people. They're just blowhards. Uh, makes them feel good because man, we're gonna go out and get extreme for the cause of good. We're gonna fight hate with hate. And good luck with that. You know, uh, I just don't think that's the solution to society's problems. Do you so. do you feel if you were, we were asking this question in 1950, your answer would be different? Well, I mean, I can't say what my life would look like in the 50s. All I know is that here now, as I've come out of the cocoon in which I was raised and the bad ideas in which I adhered to, I mean, I used to be a bigot against uh, non-heterosexuals. My best friend came out to me as gay. I saw him as a human being, someone who made my life better when he was in it, and I changed my mind. I used to uh, have all kinds of horrible ideas. And uh, if someone had come out to me at some point, had had come after me, and told me you're a bigot and you know you're this and you're that and you suck and you're scum all, all that stuff how much real reflection would i have done on my own mind mm. my own thinking i would have felt attacked the backfire effect kicks in i probably would have doubled down um instead you know cory was a flesh and blood human being and a dear friend and he was the guy i'd always known and and who treated me with uh, compassion and respect and it was this that reminded me that all of a sudden I the, there's a problem here but I don't think it's Corey I think it's me mm. and I walked out of that that bigotry I walked away from it and I think that actually spurred uh, that that constituted some of the first steps of me walking away from my religion as a whole over the years to come you know you start walking away from fundamentalism the fundamentals of your belief system and then before you know it you look around and you realize that you've rejected most of it yeah hey wait a minute i now i don't do this and i don't like that and this doesn't make sense and i reject that and you're on the other side of the looking glass mm-hmm. and um, so that's kind of how my story played out now, not everybody can be reached but i think we got to keep trying we got to keep mm-hmm. swinging you know absolutely yeah, I, I think more people can be reached than you think it just takes the effort to do that to 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 
realize your vulnerability and and go with it and say, okay, I'll let this person in and his ideas or her ideas, because in in my mind, they're different than everyone else. And it's a start. I I think it's also a problem that, you know, it's so easy to fall into this cycle of heat. Yeah. But it's so hard to pull somebody out of it. it, it you know, just time-wise, you know, it's, it's yeah. You, by the time you pull one person out, there's ten more of those, right? Uh, on the Whenever episode. I'm um, presented with religious people in my circle, I mean, I you know, I could go and be like, "That's the stupidest thing! I can't believe you're that dumb to believe religion." Uh, you know, and I just there are people who proceed like that, and instead, I start with the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we develop a relationship. My next door neighbor is a worship pastor. He's just the nicest dude in the world. We have a tremendous disagreement on very important issues. But we didn't start by going after each other. We started by finding out what we had to talk about and to not lose our minds. And we've developed a friendship. And, you know, his his daughter dog sits for Linus, when, when you know, I got to be away for more than five, six hours at a day, I trust him implicitly. And, I, uh, you know, I think uh, let's get back to remembering that there are human beings on the other side of the avatar, on the other side of the television screen, on mm-hmm. the other side of the, uh, you know, the protest sign, maybe a damaged, perhaps really toxic human being, but still a human being. And let's find out what made him tick, how they got where they are, and then begin chipping away at that by... Uh, remembering not to, um, you know, not to forget our own humanity in the process. I worry about us. I worry that we're a human species that's losing our humanity these days, and it just hurts the heart to think about. Yes. I think that's a fantastic way to finish that. I think so. Thank you so much, Seth, for all this. Uh, Take a minute. Be be, be shameless, man. Go ahead. What's coming down for the Thinking Atheist coming down the pipe there? Well, thanks for the opportunity to be involved. You know, I don't care what everybody else says about you. You're really good people. <laughs> and I, I just, no. It's a, it's a vicious rumor, Seth. It really is. You're, We're not good You're people. lovely people. Oh, um, that, that's nice. I am. Yeah, that's oh, nice. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, it's wonderful that we end on that note of humanity when yeah. you recognize that we're, that we <laughs> that are, we're humans. Yeah, that we're not subhuman. <laughs> I feel so much better. Uh, yes. You know, the, these Canadians um, are humans too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Doing some traveling. I'll be at the Colorado Secular Conference uh, July 27th. I'm going to Lincoln, Nebraska, mid uh, see, August 10th. Uh, looks like I'll be in. Detroit, Grand, wait, I'm going to Grand Rapids in Detroit, Michigan. That's happening in October. Uh, no, 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 September 11th weekend. Uh, I've got Orlando on the horizon. Matt Delahunty and I are going to be in Phoenix coming up mid-November. All those dates are on my personal website. It's sethandrews.net slash events. And beyond that, I'm just going to be cranking out the shows and the videos and doing what I do and you know, trying not to screw it up. And uh, in the meantime, thanks for the opportunity to participate. I'm a big believer in, in remaining connected as a community and as human beings. And I think shows like this, conversations like this are a big part of it. So I'm glad to be here for you guys. And thanks for being there for me. Okay. Yes, perfect. And also find Seth's books, uh, Deconverted and Sacred Cows, and find bookstores everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. You know, I'm about to release a second edition of Deconverted. Not oh, that my, nice. my story has changed, but I... There's a little bit of the language that I wanted to sort of improve a little bit, you know, seeing it a few years removed. And I'm replacing the forward. Richard Dawkins is writing a new forward for me. Oh. And um, then there's a 
chapter that hits a bunch of counter apologetics arguments that, you know, they've really improved a lot. I've improved my perspective a lot in the last seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go back and sharpen those counter apologetics arguments for people who are just now coming out of the faith, you know, stuff they hear by apologists who were talking about everything from where do your morals come from, or the eye is too complex to have evolved, or Hitler was an atheist, those types of things. It's, It's pretty basic, but I've improved my perception on those. So I'm going to go and, and update those, and I think the re-release will probably hit in uh, paperback and maybe hardcover audiobook form by, let's call it November of this year. So keep your eyes out for that, okay? Fantastic, fantastic. Seth, before I let you go, again, I have you say, Hi, this is Seth Andrews of The Thinking Atheist, and I took a left in the belly. Hi, this is Seth Andrews, host of The Thinking Atheist, and I took a left at the valley. And that was the one, the only, Seth Andrews. You know, some people inspire you, some people stimulate you, some you just have to wonder, you know, how you can exist in the same world with them. (laughs) Yes. But it may surprise you, but Seth, to me, is comforting. Comforting? It's comforting to listen to someone who is comfortable with themselves. It's the tone of his voice. It's the tone of his voice. Who has an intellect where he doesn't need to shout it out. That's true. He just is. And he's so happy to be able to share it with you in a relaxed way Mm -hmm. that it just leaves you with all of these good ideas, but in a way that just is calming. And you say, ah, just let it be. Yeah, yeah. It's almost Uh, like... The, the quieter words yeah. speak louder than all of the shouts and yells that yeah. you could ever possibly do. Yeah, exactly. It was a, a very interesting interview. I, I, I really think that we tossed some really hard-hitting questions at him. Yeah. And I think I think he handled them very, very well. I don't think he actually was expecting that from us. <laughs> Nor usually it's not really the kind of interview we, we, we do either. But I think this is a very important subject. Now, I'll be the first one to admit, I don't exactly see eye to eye with Seth. You know, I I was playing a bit devil's advocate there in the interview, but you know there are some things that I I don't really agree with him, but that's okay. That's part of the discussion. Well, and, yeah. and you know, it doesn't mean that I'm right. Doesn't mean that he's right. I think somewhere down there is when we talk about the, the these things. I mean, there's so many questions we need to ask. You know, mm-hmm. do do we really need to let people with really really bad ideas be able to express them and we didn't even talk about the idea that you know what happens when you have let's say a hate preacher and his target audience are kids you know we haven't even talked about that you know then do we need to step in or do we just let it let it roll right i mean these are all incredible questions and i think i think that the more that we have these type of conversations with people like seth and people that are in the forefront of the community and he's a broadcaster it really gives us a, a very good insight as to where we are or maybe where we should go you know, the only the only thing that I think would have added to this interview is if we had some kind of philosophy professor or, or major with us as well. That would have been an interesting take on that, uh, uh, the broadcaster and the philosopher. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of philosophy that he's developed. Oh, yeah, himself. of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I think you get you get the best of both, the yeah. broadcaster, the philosopher, the deconverted one. There's just so much that he brings, and he brings them in a conversation that is so mellow. It's just easy. It flows so easy, and you, yeah. and you don't have to hesitate to ask him a question. 
because you're going to get a thoughtful response exactly back. and exactly. you could just sit there and listen all day yeah <laughs> yes. yeah you gotta love stuff for that yeah. <laughs> well thank you ladies for joining me today and thank you to our guest Seth Andrews and thank you for listening to the show you can follow us at leftandvalley.com you can follow us on Facebook on Twitter at LETV Podcast you can follow us you can send us an email at leftandvalley at outlook.com you can become a patron like our friend freethinker215 at uh, patreon slash LETV Give us a five-star review where you find us. It helps us and helps others find the show. Okay, perfect. Coming down the pipe. Next week, our old friend Robert Stanley will be with us. We'll be talking about Philosophy 101. If he survives the heat in Texas. (laughs) That's right. And in August, we'll have our old friend Brett Lee from Unapologetics. We'll be talking about prophecies. Oh, nice. Yes, and after that, we'll have the debate, the political debate between Michael Sparks and Jerry Montanez about Bernie Sanders. That'll be very, very interesting. <laughs> After that, we'll have uh, the host of Believe It or Not with uh, Trevor Pullman. Uh, we'll also have the Secular Soup guys with Amy Withawi. I hope I'm saying this right. And then we'll also have the guys from Godless Revolution with Dan Ellis. Revolution, I love that. <laughs> and then we get into September. And then after that, we have the evidence-based... Where is it? Evidence-based... Eating with Del Oneth. Hmm. We'll have The Vanishing of the Bees with Miriam Heinem, the director of The Vanishing of the Bees. We'll be talking about what's happening with the bees. That is becoming a hot topic. A very hot topic. A buzzing hot topic. As we said a couple weeks ago, remember the bees are actually considered the most important species on the planet right now. Yeah. Um, We'll talk about everyone's agnostic with Mary or Marie and the Free Thought Project a pre- oh sorry the Free Thought Prophet I always mix that up with James McCaffick oh you've got a dynamite I've, lineup I've, I've got no lots kidding. of stuff and then we get into an October oh my god oh, yeah, yeah, we're in yeah, October yeah. already and then we have a Skeptic's Guide to Conspiracy with Mike Boer and of course we also have our Halloween special that's yeah. gonna be fun it is. we have a hell of a lineup already for the next couple of months but let's enjoy the summer while we can. I sure hope I get to. Yeah. <laughs> I've been working very hard on all this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect. Anything else we need to add? If you guys have any ideas for a show, shoot us an email. Yes, you Absolutely. could always do that. Absolutely. Or a Facebook message. Absolutely. Like our friend there, who's going to try to do a show about Mormons soon. Mm-hmm. Who do we want for that? Oh, Brian Keith Dalton, maybe? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. And of God, they get away scot-free. And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush. Don't want to affect business he loves. I'm all yours, man. Just uh, hit me, and I'll try not to sound stupid. Fair enough. <laughs> it's usually the other way around. Chances are we're going to sound way no, more no, stupid got, than you got, here. We've got stupid cover. Don't worry no, about it. So, yeah, thanks for that. He's, yeah. he's done a lot of growth. Now he thinks that, you know, gay people are human. Now he thinks Canadians are humans, too. So, you know. <laughs> Chris. And they're all in God's name. And let me take a say, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful that many atheists are told to be quiet. You're not alone. Speak your mind. Time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I Call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be 